Hi everybody, this is Dr. Christy Funk and we're back for episode two of Cancer Kicking Pow Wow. For those of you just joining us, Cancer Kicking Pow Wow is a series of inspirational videos where we meet with breast cancer thrivers who have taken their breast cancer journey and transformed their lives into something more powerful and more meaningful than it ever was before the big C word showed up. So today we have Cheryl with us who is a patient, but now a very dear friend. She was diagnosed with breast cancer two years ago, almost to the day. Almost, yeah. So here we are in the middle of October, and we are ready to meet Cheryl and talk all about her journey. But first, two quick announcements. Number one, if you haven't done so already, please subscribe so that you never miss a powwow. And number two, you also don't want to miss the 2020 Cancer Kicking Summit coming up in April 2020 at the gorgeous Oceanfront Terranea Resort. We are going to do a deep dive into your life so that you can emerge with the most healthful existence possible. And I can't wait to see you there if you can make it in person. However, you can also just join us with on-demand video and you can listen while you hike or bike. You can invite a bunch of girlfriends over and binge watch it like your favorite Netflix doc. But no matter what, please join us. And remember, it's mid-October now. Rates go up in November. So sign up soon. All right. It's time to meet Cheryl. Hello, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Tell us, we're going to start with your childhood, young adulthood, like growing up. I just want to know more about you, what life was like, what your family was like, so social relationships, what you, career path you chose. You're getting a little hint by the background. <laughs> <laughs> um, gosh, upbringing. So normal childhood, uh, family dinners all the time. My mom cooked um, until I was uh, about 12. Um, then my dad, uh, he was diabetic, so he got sick and he passed away when I was 14. Oh. So then life changed a little bit. So she was a single mom and she went to work. Um, so then dinner changed as well. So it was like more fast food and more other things. But for the most part, it was still trying to keep a healthy balance, which a healthy balance back then was meat, potatoes, salad, kind of plate, an all around plate, exactly. no, not, not leaning towards vegetarian or, or otherwise. And the meat was always the star of the plate. Exactly. Like if you yes. the center <laughs> or like the big full third just to the chicken or the big beef. Yeah. Yeah. And so you grew up where? In New Jersey. Oh, okay. So, um, and then uh, finished high school, moved out on my own, uh, went to college when I was in my early 20s, knew that I wanted to be a part of music, and basically went for music and video business, which they don't offer anymore, but I uh, got my degree, and then a friend of mine hired me right out of college to start a PR firm. Um, and oh, then, I didn't know that. Yeah, so then I went in, on to music management and managed a, a bunch of bands and worked in a management company and then had my own management and PR company, and then I fell into touring, and that's what I do now. So 20 years of touring, 10 years of everything else in the music business. Right. Um, but, but it gave you that foundation. So touring, oh, by the way, we should just maybe name drop a little bit. You're not touring with um, some high school guy who never made it past the local bar. <laughs> no. So um, currently I work with Slash featuring Miles Kennedy uh, and Blondie and... Uh, band called Billy Talent. Oh, I don't know if anybody will know them in the States, but 
other places. They're huge in Europe and they're huge in Canada. <laughs> right. So talk about that. Talk about life on the road. How many months a year you travel? I can only imagine the stress and then the lack of access to good food. You're in places that sometimes have never heard of a green vegetable. I'm kidding, but you know, it can be few and far between where you get fresh food and then you're kind of beholden to craft services, whatever they got going on. Um, for, as a rule, we, I'm, I'm on the road usually 10, 10 months out of the year. Um, sometimes longer, sometimes a little bit less. And I, on a lot of the tours, advance the catering. So I always try to make sure there's a vegan option or a vegetarian option. Well, now um, you do. Now I do. Back then? Yes. No, back then it was, you're just kind of, when I first started, it was, it's whatever was there. And, you know, um, somebody was advancing catering, but not necessarily advancing vegan or vegetarian options. It was more just, you know, we, we ate what was, what was there and what the meals provided. Um, there, we always oversee it, but it wasn't a, um, I don't know how it's not a priority. It wasn't like now it seems there's much more awareness. So it's more common on tours, but Mm -hmm. back in the early days of touring where I, when I started, which well not early days, but 20 years ago, um, there wasn't such a thing or a demand for it. So it was more like two fast two and easy. Meats. Probably. Well, it was two meats um, and a fish option mm-hmm. um, and maybe vegetarian option, but vegan was never a thing. Right. So. And not organic or anything like that. It's just, here's, here's the vegetables. <laughs> right. We've come such a long way. I mean, 20 years ago, vegan was mostly like hippies, Birkenstocks. Like you could conjure it up people who were already kind of on the fringe in terms of um, being invested in society and busy and in like, you know, suits and ties, like you didn't see them like that. And they had like nutritional yeast to work with. Like now it's like a whole new world of vegan options for your catering services, I'm sure. But also back to the pre-cancer lifestyle that you had in traveling 10 months a year. First of all, your circadian rhythm is completely disrupted constantly, right? This cycle of sleep and wake. Yeah, you basically uh, end up taking naps when you can, like three to four hours, and then you get up, and then another three to four hours. Um, Especially when you're on the crew, you're doing like, you know, a 15 to 20-hour day with four hours of sleep, sometimes going back-to-back right into another show. So it's, it's a lot of sleep deprivation and just kind of adjusting your body to live that lifestyle. Um, when you're on the road, uh, the band has a little bit more leeway. Like we get to sleep in a little bit. I usually don't sleep in because I'm up when the crew's up so that I can make sure that everything's running smoothly, um, which is a real health hazard actually. So I think it's really interesting that you alongside nurses and flight attendants and janitors have the night shift basically. And it's well documented that people who work the night shift, they have the disrupted circadian rhythm, have a 40% increase in breast cancer, 40. So it's pretty phenomenal. And when you try to understand why it has to do with melatonin so that people recognize that often um, because they know they're supposed to have that to knock them out at night, which is true. So your melatonin basically is signaled by dark and light. And when it becomes dark, it peaks between 2 and 5 a.m. in your body. Your pineal gland in your brain secretes it to knock you out at night and then to slowly wake you up in the morning. And it's light-driven. So when you work the night shift and it's light 
and then you go home and you sleep in the day, but you don't make it like blackout dark, you're never getting these higher levels of melatonin. And it's been shown interestingly in people who are legally blind, just like dark all the time, they're blind. They have 57% less breast cancer because they have higher melatonin levels. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So it's very interesting. It, it, the melatonin basically also is required. Your organs are relying on that circadian rhythm that gets disrupted by someone like a tour manager. And they're relying on it to tell them when, like, oh, it's light. Let's make some estrogen. Now it's dark. We're going to wind down the activity. But, oh, it's light. So if you're light and then light and lighter or, you know, it's just never really dark and you're not getting that good eight hours of sleep, you are elevating your estrogen levels. And as we will get to in a moment... Your cancer was estrogen driven. Yes, it was. Yeah. So we've got this exciting, fun, international lifestyle that disrupts your circadian rhythm, makes you beholden to eat whatever two meats or a chicken is put in front of you on a daily basis. And exercise. What kind of priority is placed on exercise when you travel 10 months a year and you're in a different spot every other night? Well, for me, I've always tried to keep my exercise up, even when I was touring from day one. So um, I always try to make sure that the hotels have gyms I run in the morning or do something of that nature. But I try to at least work out four to five days a week. I mean, it doesn't work that way for everyone. Um, most crew people don't end up going to the gym. Mm -hmm. um, but as a rule, I try to make sure that I keep my exercise regimen up as much as I can. When it gets into tours where you're just barely getting four to five hours sleep a night, and, you know, you're going to bed at, at two and you're getting up at seven or six, then those days I may not get to the gym. So like South American tours are harder to do exercise on than North American tours because you're flying from city to city and you're not on a bus. So it's, yeah. Oh, makes sense. Right. Okay. So we'll fast forward now to when we met two yes. years ago and tell me about how the cancer was diagnosed and what unfolded there? I went to my gynecologist for my annual visit and she felt a lump that nobody had felt, nobody had found. I love that because so, you know that the American Cancer Society tells us, nah, your clinician actually is useless at doing breast exam and so are you, so don't do self-breast exam. And we think that clinical breast exam is not very helpful either. Oh, and well I'm then, like, yes. Hmm? Okay, well. Yeah, I'm living proof that it is helpful because it was on the rib cage and it was where I normally doing myself exam. I didn't feel that far in or under and she found it. And then I found the second lump in my armpit uh, after the fact before you I went. Did. I did. Oh, okay. Well, so. for you guys watching pinklotus.com forward slash exam, learn how to do an amazing self-breast exam because you will start to understand the full confines of the breast anatomy and then also the little armpit checks so would go through exactly how to do it well because that's incredible that you, you your doctor felt one and then you felt the node. You came to me diagnosed, so you had already had the biopsy in the breast and the node and when I met you, we knew what we were dealing with but not what we were going to do about it. Right, exactly. So... Um... I came into your office and I knew it was ER, PR positive, uh, HER2 negative, and you had suggested that either I could do the double mastectomy or I could do a lumpectomy, um, and that regardless of what I chose, my risk would be the same, basically, right. for a recurrence. So I chose to keep them <laughs> and do a lumpectomy right. and ancillary lymph node dissection. 
Um, axillary. Oh, axillary. Sorry. Yeah, that was a I fancy said. word, though. Yeah. Most people just go with armpit. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> axillary nose dissection. So, uh, which then, after you did the surgery, the margarines were clean, but I had four positive lymph nodes, right. which was the magic number um, right. to marry me to chemo and both chemo and radiation. Yeah. So. Right. Right. So being estrogen driven and HER2 negative, even though we knew you had a positive node or two based on the ultrasound, didn't marry you to chemotherapy. We were hoping you would have three or fewer positive nodes and then we would be sending the tumor off for a genetic analysis, specifically yeah. mammoprint, to tell us the benefit of chemo. Because there are certain cancers that are biologically slow and mellow and they're not going to respond well to chemo and you already have such an amazing prognosis that chemo doesn't add anything to that. It only adds collateral damage. Uh, four and more nodes, you're not really eligible because we don't have studies to show you could safely avoid chemo. So off to chemo you went. And you actually, I have to say, weathered that well. You may not have thought so. I thought, <laughs> I thought you did. Thank you. Really uh, kept up such a positive attitude. And um, the radiation was a struggle of a decision, as I recall. You were worried. Yeah, I was more worried about the, um, the side effects of the radiation because they wanted to do more aggressive radiation treatment on me um, because they said if the cancer did come back into my lymph nodes in the inner chest wall, right. that they can't do surgery for that. And so they wanted to be aggressive with the radiation to make sure it covered the entire area all the way up. So I was worried about the side effects to my lungs and my organs and my heart. And, um, but I went with the more aggressive anyway. So, right. and it was just, that was, the radiation was a little bit tougher than I anticipated as well. I had a lot, I didn't have a good reaction. I had a lot of burning and they had to stop twice, but anyway, but I made it through. <laughs> you did, you did, but it's good. It's good for our viewers to know that, you know, we're not, bringing in guests and thrivers who just sailed through everything like it was joyful and easy. And in fact, I remember being stressed out with you about uh, your whole breast got red after all of your treatments were done. Do you remember yes, that? Yes, I and had radiation recall. Yes, you did. And that is when all the symptoms come back, but you're not doing radiation anymore. <laughs> so I well, finished. blast from the past. Yeah. <laughs> finished in October and come January, like I was exercising and running again. And, and then all of a sudden I swelled up and it was red and I didn't know what it was. And right. that's, that's what Antibiotics don't help. We just need a little time, sometimes steroids, but something reminds the breast cells like, Hmm, I was radiated before and now I want to flare up again. Oftentimes it's tamoxifen and you had started tamoxifen. So that could have been our culprit. Oh yeah, maybe. Yeah. Cause I had started in, uh, November I started tamoxifen mm -hmm. and then I took tamoxifen until March and then I switched. Right. So, and some of the side effects for tamoxifen are, well, you can describe your side effects. Um, my side effects ended up being, uh, depression was a side effect for me. And it wasn't like, it's, it was uh, enlightening to me, actually, because I didn't feel like I was depressed. I just felt like I didn't care about anything. I didn't care about nothing made me happy. Nothing made me feel good. Um, things that used to make me feel good didn't make me feel good anymore. And like I, did, I had one scare where they thought I had um, another cyst and so not a breast cyst somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of like, 
oh, I don't care what happens. And I was like, that's not normal. So right. I asked my doctor and they switched me to an astrazole. Uh -huh. um, which is for postmenopausal. As long as I stayed in menopause and they tested my hormones and they were super low, I switched to that. And that hasn't been quite as bad. But there's still side effects, but not, not quite as bad as that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. Well, and as part of the depression, it, it kind of unrecognized for a while too. It saps you of motivation. And I do remember talking to you about waking, which can be a side effect treatment, but then also it compounds itself and it's hard to pinpoint like, oh, that's why I gained weight. Right? right. But you transitioned, you were 50 with the diagnosis, you transitioned into menopause like many women do. And so menopause itself often leads to weight gain. And then the treatments can lead to weight gain. And yeah. then these, uh, this unrecognized depression can make you less motivated to be exercising or eating well, and that can lead to weight gain. So we've got a lot of factors that can collide from one diagnosis, breast cancer, that lead to this unwelcome scenario. So you had gained some weight. Yeah, I gained about 25 pounds total over the course of the treatments. And then to top things off, I did, I was put on steroids for three months because when I finished my radiation treatment, I, within two weeks of that finishing, I got diagnosed with RA. So, which rheumatoid arthritis, people don't know what that is. Um, so they had me on steroids. So that also contributed to the weight gain because I was on steroids for three months till they could get it under control. Right. Um, yeah, but now, you know, two years later, I'm five pounds away from being where I was when I started this journey and very happy and exercising and uh, my RA is in remission. And, you know, so it's all Which good. All good things. Yes. <laughs> and that is, is a real kudos to you because when you gain weight after breast cancer diagnosis, recurrence rates go up. But for anyone who loses weight, any amount of weight, losing weight, you lose the risk, you know, along the lines of you want to get back to your, you already were in your ideal body weight BMI range when you were diagnosed. So that already is a point in your favor. And as long as you get there and stay there, it's like that little weight bump and drop never happened. You are wearing a sleeve. Yes. This is a lymphedema sleeve to it help is. the lymphatic uh, flow from your arm get back into the main lymphatics. You never really had like a huge No, I never problem. swelled up. Um, I never got true lymphedema. I was always considered a zero. But they, um, the therapist did tell me as long as you wear the sleeve, you're pretty much, you won't get it. So like exercising being and always on a plane um, mm -hmm. wear it. So they said, and it makes my arm feel normal because it's still sometimes it like a, a heaviness. Yeah, to it. it has a heaviness to it when I don't wear it. And this makes it just feel like a normal arm. So I, and so I just got little fancy ones, but this cool one has my little yeah, for October. It. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me about you're now full fledged vegan. Yes, which I, I am love. fully vegan. But you didn't turn vegan on a dime even after the diagnosis. And your diet before diagnosis was just normal. What I thought was healthy. Um, I basically was on the high-protein, low-carb diet. All of us in so. our 50s were on that forever <laughs> until something snaps us into the truth. Because we grew up that way. No bread, yeah. pasta, rice, or potatoes all throughout high school and forever after. Like, that's just how it was. So I, I hear you, sister. Like it was all lots of lean meats, right? Yeah, Chicken, exactly. turkey, fish, some vegetables, and try to avoid all those starchy carbs, including it, potatoes. 
um, which I now enjoy all the time. Me too. <laughs> uh, so talk about that because it was a beautiful transition. Like you, you weren't abrupt with it, but you eliminated some things from your diet. Like help the viewers understand that it doesn't like, you know, if I tell my story, I'm all or, all or none, right? Like I opened the fridge, we cleared it out. My three sons, husband and I in a moment are vegan. Yesterday we weren't and forever after we are. That's a lot for most people. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So tell me about your transition. Okay. So I came into your office and you told me that you and your family had um, transitioned into being fully vegan. And that right there was my decision maker to become full-time vegan. So. so since making that transition, what do you miss the most? I miss pizza. <laughs> but pizza. it has to be East Coast, like New York city or New Jersey pizza with a thin crust. Um, and well, but there's vegan pizzas that I found uh, that are good too. Yeah, all right. I, I gotta, I gotta say we got a little distance to go with the cheese, uh, the cheese substitutes. Interestingly, we, when people are polled who go vegan and ask what they miss the most, uh, hands down, it's cheese. Yeah. And then number two is pizza, which is <laughs> Not the olives, it's the cheese, I'm sure. Um, so, okay. And now tell me about how like a typical favorite lunch. People kind of get the breakfast thing down when they transition because you've got oatmeal and smoothies and tofu scrambles. But lunch and dinner, like give us just a, a single meal that you'll prepare that's simple and you makes you happy. Um, so I just got an instant pot. So, yes, I yeah. want one. I have so, a crock pot, but I want one of those magical Instapots. Yeah. So now that I have that, I actually like steam my vegetables in there. I'll do potatoes. I'll do broccoli. Um, I'll make a kale salad because that's my new salad staple mm -hmm. with my vegan dressing, which usually is like a ginger dressing. And then I'll put beans in it, like, you know, red beans, garbanzo beans or whatever. And sometimes I'll use like Amy's chili. Mm -hmm. And I'll make a little side dish of the vegan organic chili um, with or without vegan cheese. So that's kind of like a awesome. meal in, in and of itself there. That's... You're making me hungry. What do you think will change because of the cancer journey in terms of being on the road? In coordination with my production coordinator on the road, mm -hmm. um, we try to facilitate a vegan option at every meal breakfast, lunch, and dinner for our And catering. are there other takers? Like, have you yeah. rubbed off on yeah, some of Yeah, the there's, staff? um, well, there was four people on my tour that were vegetarian leaning towards vegan that pretty much just ate vegan on the tour because it was an option and it was there. Mm -hmm. So, um, so there's that. And, and then when I can't do it, I try to find vegan restaurants that are close. Like there's that happy cow app. Oh, uh -huh. that you can find vegan restaurants that are close or something that has a, a vegan option for when we bring in our after show food and I order my food from there. So right. I also carry, um, protein shakes, uh, a Nutribullet and all of the powders. Like I have green and red powder and turmeric and things that I make shakes with right. when I, when I don't have access to um, proper meal. Amazing. Then I'll make my own shake in my so hotel. So proud room. of you. Pro tip vegan <laughs> traveler. All yeah. right. So tell me what's next. What's on the horizon that you can pretty much say that never would have been on that horizon were it not for the cancer journey? Um, really being proactive in doing reading and doing the research 
from research that other people have done mm-hmm. on the pros of and what what's the best thing to extend your life and you know um eating healthy and exercise and all of that is just you know that's a priority over everything else right you know i i need those things in order to do my job and stay healthy and be out there for another hopefully 20 years at least say what no we're going for centenarian girlfriend 100 plus and why not when you're vegan so that is exactly my life's mission and it wasn't it was breast cancer other people's breast cancer journeys that changed me but that is my entire focus is what can people do beyond the food right beyond the exercise and that is what cancer kicking is all about the entire brand the summit coming up that's what i want is to take people in a gorgeous place that's already conducive to learning growing changing and being joyful and putting community into the equation too, right? Being with other like-minded women and a few good men who really care about their health. I've done all the research for you, so you don't really have to. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And uh, I can tell you from a science evidence-based perspective why these extra activities can make such a healthful, transformative difference in your life. So um, I encourage you to join me in April. Are you going to be on the road? Oh, yeah. I'm hoping. I'm, right now, I'm going to be home, so I'll be there for sure. Okay. 100%. <laughs> All right. Do you have any other final thoughts you want to share? Uh, just for anybody who's newly diagnosed or whatever, stay positive and do your research. Read her book. All the and join air, Power all, Up. And join Power Up. All the answers are there. Love it. It's true. And don't journey alone. So Pink Lotus Power Up, sign up, meet people and gain access to tremendous resources and new friendships. So Cheryl, thank you so much for being an inspirational second guest here on Cancer Kicking Pow Wow. Thank you for sharing how nutritional and dietary and lifestyle behaviors can make such a significant impact in life. And I want you to remember it also so that you too can say, take that cancer. cancer.